0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World as we approach our fourth birthday. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims, and we have a fantastic discussion lined up for you today. Uh, you will have noticed that Gartner released the Magic Quadrant, first time they've ever done the Magic Quadrant for enterprise conversational AI companies. And although it's not officially kind of released, if you have a look at it, you can kind of see... You know, it's blurred out, but you can read it and you can kind of see who's in that leader uh, spot. And one of those companies is Cognigy. And we're speaking to the CEO, Philip Heltevig, today uh, in just a moment. But before we do introduce Philip, we are going to say a shout out to our presenting sponsors, Deepgram and Symbol AI. Uh, If you are not familiar with Symbol AI... We actually did a podcast with Subi Rathor, who was the CEO of Symbol AI, last week. It was not part of the sponsorship or arrangement. It was genuinely uh, a podcast we've been lining up. And it was absolutely unbelievable. Symbol AI make it super, super easy uh, to, for you to be able to build powerful coaching, like agent assist coaching conversations, call tracking functionality for your customer experience solutions. Uh, it's got it's, it's conversational intelligence, essentially. It's a suite of APIs that you can utilize. Uh, you can monitor calls, videos, Text conversations, and you can pl- apply best-in-class conversational contextual AI in no time at all. And you can actually get started for free. Uh, the use cases that it enables is absolutely tremendous. You know, it is it is absolutely unbelievable. Look, the world is your oyster, and you're only limited by your imagination. So do check out Symbol AI, Symbol AI to learn more. That's S Y M B L AI for those listening on the podcast. Uh, check check it out. It's definitely worth it. And our other presenting sponsor is Deepgram. If you are creating voice assistants, voice bots, conversational agents that require the ability to take people's speech and turn it into text so that you can feed your NLU, you will uh, be hard pushed to find uh, better than Deepgram. It's incredibly accurate. You can actually retrain the models based on your unique use case in your industry. It is highly cost effective. And they will actually baseline your uh, use case against uh, other speech-to-text speech, uh, speech text providers, ASR providers, so they will actually do a baseline, and you can see for yourself how how accurate it is. So to learn more about that, go to deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. That is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Philip Heltevig, CEO of Cognigy, who's having a, a very good day today, I expect. <laughs>
1: That's right. Couldn't be better, really.
0: Nice. Well, first of all, congratulations. I know we can't get too deep into the Magic Quadrant discussion because there's all kinds of embargoes on the scene until uh, a certain period of time is released. But you can see that if you look in that quadrant, in the press release that was released, it's all blurred out. But I can definitely make out the name Cognigy in that leader position. And so you did make it into the leader quadrant. So congratulations.
1: That's right. Yeah, thank you very much. It's actually, um, we actually have approval to say that we are a leader in the magic quadrant. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great testament to uh, to what we've been doing over the past five years, uh, company strategy, and of course, especially the product, right? And yeah, so when this came out yesterday, um, we had an all hands meeting in the company and, and celebrated and uh, it, was, uh, it was fantastic.
0: Nice, nice. Five years—not not that long, really. You know, I mean, this podcast's been going, and VWX World's been going for four years. And I remember when I bought the domain name was in June twenty seventeen. It was probably about six months or so after Cognigy kind of got going. And that time seems to have just absolutely flown by. So you you must still think you must still kind of like must still feel as though you're just getting started, does it? Or does it feel as though things have moved on tremendously over five years?
1: Well, I think both, right? It's it's uh, when, when when I think about Cognigy, I still think, yeah, we're kind of like a small startup, but we are not really a small startup anymore. We're one of the biggest players in the world with uh, with many offices around the world, and, and now a leader in the magic quadrant, leader in, in enterprise conversational AI. And it's it's not just us that has grown a lot. I think the industry overall has has grown and matured a lot, right? When we started, it was all. All about NLU, and at first it was all about voice. Yeah, it's chat doesn't matter, it's all about voice, and then that changed. And then chat, chat became really big uh, and became its own category with messaging and all that, right? And then um, voice came back with direct integrations into the contact centers, and also the expectation towards uh, bots, I think, has, has, has changed, right? Whereas a couple of years ago, when you came to a new customer. Nobody really knew anything about conversational AI and, and they just heard AI. And we actually had a we had a scene once where a customer gave us a collection of PowerPoint um, slide decks and said, okay, um, you can give this to the bot to read. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, that, that's not really how it works. And, and now we're having uh, very different discussions, of course, with with teams around the world. Most large enterprises now have teams uh, that are specialized on conversational AI, right? Center of Excellences. And you don't need to go in and explain the, the benefits of, of why, uh, why voice bots or why chat bots anymore. I think the industry and the people working it have, uh, have, have come a long way as well.
0: Mm-hmm. so we've got a shout out from Mike Novak go Cognigy. <laughs> you've got a fan there paying attention uh yeah you're right the industry is definitely developed um and it's it's you know interesting to see these center of excellences pop up and we'll get into that discussion uh in a short while in terms of some of the other trends that we're seeing and, and how organizations as they develop center of excellences as they develop more solutions and start to scale those solutions what kind of critical uh, you know requirements is there and, and th- that you are would kind of advise them and what other kind of like traps is there that people might get themselves into and essentially i think that now there is a good degree of people who have or companies that have kind of got to a point where they are doing a good degree of volume and are having a good degree of success they've got a good degree of capability it's nice to have the discussion now i think because there's still equally a lot of companies just getting started and now finally we can actually point to things and say this is what good looks like whereas five years ago perhaps we couldn't really do that
1: That's right. And I mean, five five years ago, I think there were a lot of examples of what good doesn't look like, right? (laughs) Because the technology wasn't there. But also, I mean, there is technology, right? There is natural language understanding technology. There is the technology to actually build and model the bots. But then there was also no real understanding about, okay, conversation design, right? Maybe five years ago, that term didn't even exist, right? Or at least not a lot of people knew anything about it. Whereas now, I think the focus has shifted from, let's build an all-knowing AI in customer service towards, okay, let's build something that helps the customer, right? It doesn't have to sound like C3PO or whatever, some advanced AI, right? It, as, long as, it can, as long as it can quickly help. Mm. And um, look at voice bots, for example, whereas five years ago, companies would have gone and said, okay, we're going to build a voice bot and it's gonna, it has to be able to resolve 80% of cases when people call the contact center. This is, this is not really the right way to approach this because you need to build all, all of these different use cases, right? Whereas now, companies realize, okay, let's start maybe with the top three things. We're also not greeting the customer with, hey, how, how may I help you? But instead of, hey, um, welcome to XYZ, I can help you with one, two, three, or I can connect you to an agent, how can I help you today, right? Mm-hmm. So much more guided uh, conversation design that actually helps to resolve issues um, quicker. And so it's a mixture of better technology, better tooling in general, but also the way to design the interactions, right? Because just like maybe in 1995, you probably didn't have a lot of website designers, and then we kind of got the hang of it and how to do things, how to build good user experience on on websites. And um, five years ago was probably like the the 1995 or even the 1992 in conversational AI, Mm. where nobody really knew how to do it right because we didn't have any experience, whereas now there is a whole, a whole lot of experience already and certain frameworks and certain methodologies are establishing itself, right? And that's why the conversational AI solutions we're seeing in the market now work much better than, uh, than a couple of years ago.
0: Mm, it's interesting that yeah the, the whole conversation design community is definitely thriving and, and we evangelize for that time and time again on on the podcast and also you know the work that we do and stuff and i think that you know maybe it's, maybe this is um uh, one lesson i suppose for those just getting started and it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on the importance of that design element because ultimately that's 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 all there is with an invisible interface you know, that's based on conversations. The design part is basically all there is. There's no, the technology behind it is just fueling the actual conversation, and so there's nothing else to it. Whereas, you know, you probably see some of those more mature teams focus on that, have teams and, and people dedicated to doing that. But is that your your kind of uh, your viewpoint as well? That when people are getting started, you notice that it's maybe more led by technicians and engineers as opposed to having a design input.
1: Definitely, right? Because I mean. Conversational AI really came from the natural language understanding industry. Natural language understanding in itself is not really a a tool set, right? But it's a a technological thing that was mainly used by programmers who then build the conversations in code afterwards. Uh, What we are doing, for example, when you you start using Cognigy, we have training courses on conversational design that are available for free. Um, Questions like, okay, should I give my bot a personality? Is that important? Right. I personally, for me, when I use bots, I don't consider it important because I don't want to ask a bot. Let's say I'm, I'm dealing with an airline bot. I'm not going to ask the bot uh, when Barack Obama was born or mm. uh, what the weather is in, in New York. Unless I'm flying to New York, maybe, maybe then it's interesting. Right? So this whole small talk aspect, that's big too. Should I add small talk to my bot? Is it, is it really adding value to my customer? I mean, that's, mm. Different aspects, right? If you have a bot in retail, it's a bit more playful. Maybe Yes. If you have a bot that uh, helps you to uh, find support tickets in your uh, support ticket system, it probably doesn't need to be able to have a, a small talk, right? Mm. So we're trying to guide users in, in, in picking the right way, right? In, uh, in adding these features or not. So we have these training classes, but also the, the tool itself needs to guide users in in, uh, in doing things right. Not just going like, okay, you can do anything, go off mm. and do it. Mm. Right. But really going like, okay, you want to build a bot for X, here is a best practice of how to do that.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting. The com the, the personality side of things combined with conversation design, I think can have can have an impact in places where mm. You know, it can help multiple designers that are working on one thing understand the kind of language to use. Not everyone not everyone needs to have a name, for example, um, depending on the user goals. As you said, you know, something that is an airline, but very utilitarian, very transactional, probably can dial down the personality. It's a case of whether you kind of want to use like there's a really good use case in the kind of debt collection space where I can't remember the name of the company, which is that. The the person the persona was a bit personified. I think it might be in Webby that did it. The, the 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 personality was a bit personified. It didn't have a name, but it used a little bit of slang. It used like "hey" for a greeting and stuff. So it's like taking out what is like a tense situation potentially, mm-hmm. and you know maybe's diffusing some of that tension, being a little bit more kind of like relaxed and helping people feel more comfortable and stuff like that. But I think that it's yeah, it's it's horse, it's horses for courses uh, without a doubt. And I think that. Um, yeah, yeah. houses of gossip basically. But it's interesting how... It's very interesting,
1: right? Because uh, maybe, maybe to just quickly comment on that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: What you've just described, the decision, should I give my bot a personality that can help diffuse an attention-laden uh, um, situation, is that a decision that should lie with a JavaScript developer who's coding the bot? Mm. The answer mm. is probably not, Right. I love JavaScript developers. I'm a JavaScript developer, so but I probably shouldn't make the decision either, right? The decision should be then made by someone who knows something about that. It could be a linguist. It could be a psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and all of a sudden, and, and, and that is the thing, all of a sudden you're getting to a level that is about communications,
2: mm-hmm.
1: very similar to something you're doing in marketing or maybe even in, uh, in copywriting, where you, you talk about how will... The person that I'm communicating with perceive this when it's said like this, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As you say, do, do I greet them with, hey, or do I greet them at all? And do I say like, hey, my name is X, like the bot's persona, mm. things like that, because all of that will elicit a certain response. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course, if I have a playful bot and then people try out things like, oh, I love you, so just see what the bot says. Mm-hmm. I don't know how often you've put I love you into the Amazon search box. <laughs> Probably not that often, even though it's going to have a product for you with, uh, with that. <laughs> but um, if you have a very utilitarian bot and you write I love you and it goes like, sorry, all I can do is find support tickets for you, give me the support mm-hmm. ticket number, then okay, that's it, right? So yep. a personality drives the... The, the the way that um customers interact with the bot and ultimately the success right mm. I get it I mean if you uh, if you build a bot for a TV show or something like that probably should have a uh, personality right?
0: mm. do you think that like you know we we're talk we're talking about how companies have developed and you know advanced in their approaches and we'll get more into that uh in a while do you also think that the end users have also developed a degree of maturity? Like, are you noticing with your customers and your deployments that people are asking things like, what's the weather and do you have, are you real and stuff like that? Are people still using bots as like a novelty thing or, or are people quite happy and quite used to now bots that just do certain things and, and then kind of just get on with it? What's your observations about from the the maturity on the, on the yeah. user side?
1: It's actually, um, it's all over the place. Like, be- I wish I could say um, we as users have matured enough to know how to communicate with these bots and how to phrase things so that the bot most likely understands it. This is true for me. Um, Not sure it would be so true for my parents, for example, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, sometimes um, let's say, uh, I mean, because of of GDPR and so on, we we don't usually get insights into what the bots are saying to our customers' uh, bots but we have some demo bots also on our website. And uh, if you saw some of the stuff that people put in there, like uh, you would need to beep a lot on this uh, podcast. <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty crazy because I think there is, this is also the, the conundrum of a demo bot. People call a demo bot to try and trick it into making a mistake. People don't call an airline bot to try and trick it into making a mistake, but to change their booking. Right. So yeah. it's a, so maybe when they interact with the real-life bot, uh, they have matured a little bit. Also through the, um, um, what are they called? Voice assistance, Amazon's yeah. device. I can't say her name. She's, she's back there. <laughs> or Google Home, right? Um, we know that we're not going to use very lengthy phrases uh, to describe what we want, but we, we do it in more of a command style, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's, um, I guess, so we have matured in a way. But there's still so many people. Debt collection is a good uh, good example. We have um, several companies that use Cognigy for for debt collection, mm. and um, yeah, swear word detection, uh, level of aggression, sentiment detection is is very important in those uh, in those cases, right? You you are dealing with people that the uh, in thirty percent of cases don't realize that they're talking to a bot.
0: Mm. Interesting, interesting.
1: Which, by the way, is also a conversation design problem. I think that the. It should always be made clear that this is not a human. We should never try yeah. to emulate that. That's not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's, is is that because it sets unrealistic expectations or is it the ethical thing about tricking people that they're talking to a, a human?
1: I don't think anyone's um, intentionally tricking uh, people into uh, thinking that they're talking to a human. That can that can only backfire. If anyone's doing that and listening in today, I, I advise them not to do that. Um, I think it's just that um, if the bot doesn't make clear that they're a bot, uh, especially on the phone call, the text-to-speech algorithms are so good these days. If you look at the neural voices that Microsoft, Google, or, or Amazon have, for example, and, and there's many specialized providers out there as well, they are so good that just from the tone of the voice, it's difficult to, uh, to, um, to hear that it's not a, uh, not a human Right, mm. you should still make that clear. You'd say, "Okay, I'm I'm the automated debt collection system, mm. something like that." Right, mm. because then the then the responses from the human will be aligned.
0: Yeah, right. that makes sense.
1: Like that.
0: Um, what 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 are your kind of like? So those companies that have been doing it quite a while, um, they have a process. it's it's they're likely to be almost in like maintenance and scale mode and we'll maybe get into some of the 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 kind of like um either blind spots that people find as they go into that kind of phase but in order to get into that phase in order to become mature in order to have something of a degree of scale you need to kind of do something first don't you you need to do you need to kind of get started and there'll be a lot of uh, either people listening who work within organizations who haven't deployed a bot or in a call center or a chatbot yet companies that will be thinking about it what's your kind of like what's your advice for people just getting started is there a specific process that you advise they follow is a specific framework or methodologies that you advise like what would what would your advice be on, on the process of getting people up and running and then we'll move on to as that yeah. advances and scales it
1: depends a little bit on the the type of company that that you are or that you're working for Right. If you are a, a very small business, then uh, I would advise you could okay, just get going. Right. Uh, go get get a get a tool out there that can support your your type of uh, expenditure. Right. There are very cheap tools. There are even free tools out there that you can get started with. But of course, they will not really be uh, be enterprise level tools. Now, why is my advice different for for enterprise customers? There there are a couple of Let's say uh, special requirements that enterprise have, uh, enterprises have when it comes to uh, things like conversational AI or almost any software. And I think this this is this is something important to realize. Conversational AI is just like any other enterprise software. You still have the same requirements on GDPR, on uh, logging and alerting, on uh, integration into corporate logging frameworks, on uh, failover resilience, internal SLAs, and security requirements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. The advice there would be, okay, before you get started, make sure that the tool you're using to get started uh, because almost all the tools you can just get started with tomorrow, right? You can go to Cognigy's website and and start a trial immediately, right? You you don't even need to um, confirm an email or anything. You're just in immediately. So getting started is easy. But is it the right tool for you uh, to also bring something into production? Because there's a difference of, yeah, I'm going to play around with this and try it out versus I'm going to bring it into production, right? When you look at security, I think this is especially for large enterprises this is hugely important. How can I uh, how can I um, collaborate with multiple employees on a bot, right? Is there other security settings so that Kane can do everything in a bot, uh, Phil can only work on the NLU, uh, Kane can see the analytics, uh, Phil can only see the analytics in one language, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's very fine granular. Um, security settings that are required by enterprises, right? Mm-hmm. Can there be 10,000 projects on the platform? Like we have, uh, we have many customers that have hundreds or even thousands of projects on their cognitive instances, mm-hmm. where employees from all over the world are working on different projects and they're completely separate, right? So all of these kinds of things all of a sudden uh, become very important when you talk about deploying conversational AI in an in an enterprise context. Mm. And that's not something you you usually think about when you get started. You think about how good is the NLU, uh, how easy is it to build the the bot, what are the features of the bot. All of that is great, all of that is super important. But um, what's also important is that the software you are picking is actually the right one for your size of company.
0: Mm. Interesting. I think a lot of people... Like you've got two kinds of fish, haven't you? You've got one side, which is kind of companies, large companies that have very defined procurement processes that don't do things really as like, they might experiment a little bit, but if they commit to something, then they're kind of going to commit to it sort of thing. So you've got long procurements and you've got very detailed requirements and all that kind of stuff that can take quite a while. At the same time, you've got companies that might have a bit more of an agile kind of approach that you know they, they can try something and, and get moving and rolling with it and stuff like that. What are your observations on how companies are approaching that? In your observ, in your kind of experience, are people, you know, utilizing Cognigy because they want something like you said that they can get into and 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 you know play with quickly, but have something that they can move to production and scale? Or mm-hmm. are you finding that more organisations are undergoing? large procurement processes and wanting all of these things like security elements and stuff like that defined up front. What's your kind of observations on where organizations yeah. begin that kind of procurement?
1: It's funny. I think uh, these days it's actually a, a mix even for the larger enterprises. So you, you can get uh, pilots running very quickly without going through a procurement or anything like that. So, uh, limited uh, limited pilots, where then a certain use case is built and tried out for a couple of weeks, something like that. But then, of course, once it's supposed to go into production, when the when the proper licenses have to be purchased, support uh, agreements have to be put in place, then it's a uh, hardcore enterprise uh, procurement, right? Mm. And, and this is. Uh, but of course, maybe I I, I have a slightly a biased view on the market as well because we are dealing. In most cases, with very large enterprises around the world, right? We um, we might have a handful of small business customers, but but not really, mm. right? So uh, this might be different for uh, for other tools that uh, that are in the market. Uh, but for us, it's uh, yes, we regularly for almost a- every customer, we see the 100-page security questionnaires that we need to work through and stuff like that. So that's uh, that's very common. Data processing agreements to be GDPR. Um, compliant, etc. Hmm. We do see that uh, almost every day. Yes.
2: Hmm.
0: And uh, w- during those kind of exercises, are, you know the example you gave there of the company that's using them in multiple language, multiple different countries and stuff like that, is that usually a starting point or is it usually we want to bring something in and do that due diligence but we want to use it in this market for this use case or yes. are, are there broader plans in terms of we want to bring something in that we know we're going to have used across the globe?
1: There is a, we usually see two two types of, of approaches there. We see the, the contact center um, techies, let's just say, coming. And then th- th- these are the teams that also manage your Genesis or Avaya or Cisco infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They are coming and saying, okay, we need a, a mature conversational AI platform that can work with our contact center of choice. And so it's driven from the contact center, from the customer experience side. Right? And then that, that is a use case, and they're usually getting started in one market and then expanding from there. So that's, that's one way. The other way is the, the center of excellence for automation, which is usually in the uh, IT department. right? Mm-hmm. So those are the same, usually the same folks that are also taking care of things like RPA, UiPath, you name it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then it comes from that side where they say, okay, we are the center of excellence where if anyone wants to automate something in the enterprise, they come to us. Um, and we have RPA already in our bag of tools that we can use. And now we also want conversational AI, and then uh, they bring us in, for example, and then they can offer that internally to the enterprise, right? So we have both uh, both types of uh, of cases.
0: Mm-hmm. And how much? Because I mean, it sounds you know you've definitely thought about. The, the real, like, details of how to sell to large, complex organizations. And, you know, the security side of things, where is it hosted? Obviously, you know, if you look at even, like, AWS, for example, you don't really have a great deal of flexibility about where that's hosted if you're going to use Lex or something like that. You know, you, you kind of have to pick a cloud somewhere <laughs> depending on, how on, on on you know, where that is and all that kind of stuff. You can't really run it on-premise. I don't know whether Cognigy can or not. I'm sure we can, we can get to that. Um, but, like... I think that having that level of detail around understanding exactly the kind of like checklists that these enterprises are going to kind of are gonna need in order to implement something is is really sensible. Do you think that, because I'm, I'm seeing obviously you spent a long time at Sitecore, Sitecore large enterprise grade CMS. Has all this stuff come from your experience at Sitecore and what did you learn there that you've kind of applied to Cognigy? Is is this in part some of that?
1: Yeah, it's actually funny, when uh, when we sold Sitecore in, in 2016 and I, I then founded Cognigy together with uh, my co-founder, Sasha and, and Benny, I uh, I said, uh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do something different. I'm not going to do enterprise software. Uh, we're going to build an, an end-user device and we're actually going to build a, a talking teddy bear that we're going to sell to the world and then talking all kinds of things, like maybe a talking uh, Baby Yoda or, for the insiders, uh, Grogu, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, it didn't come to that. We 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 pivoted back to enterprise software, and uh, and here we are. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I guess a, a lot of the enterprise experience that, that me and, and my co-founders, and also a lot of the people that we brought in, we we do have a couple of people from Sidecore as well mm. that we have helped us to um, to get a foothold in this enterprise uh, space, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it is is difficult selling to enterprise, but it is also um, it's also uh, less risky. Right? There are much fewer deals, of course, that you do. The deals are bigger and they are much stickier.
2: Mm. But
1: we uh, we have a zero percent churn rate amongst our large enterprise customers, right? So, and that is because if an enterprise really commits, then they commit for a long time. Mm. There's a big difference to the way that we sold at sidecore. Basically, because at sidecore It was usually you get an RFP, everyone is invited in the industry, everyone um, pitches their proposals, and then maybe there's a demo during the RFP, and then the winner is uh, is chosen, and then that license is purchased. And then there, there's like a five-year contract. Now what we are seeing with this technology here is because conversational AI technology hasn't been around for as long as uh, content management technology has or CRM technology or something like that, right? So companies usually want to run a pilot. So um, they might do an RFP, and then they whittle it down to three or two companies. Then they run a pilot where they check all of these things. Can it integrate into our enterprise infrastructure? Right? Does it do all the things that, that we need it to do? What does it even sound like? Sometimes we have pilots that uh, go live for a couple of weeks on the phone lines to see can we hit those deflection rates that are actually advertised. So there seems to be a much stricter uh, evaluation um, process in place to see whether the technology can actually deliver. And that is, of course, because most large enterprises, whilst they might have some small conversational AI deployments here or there, don't yet have 10, 20 years of experience in the technology and, and the value it can bring, right? So it's a it's a little bit different, but it's great for us because we always say, well, what we're advertising, we can also deliver, right? We don't there's no smoke and mirror stuff that's on our website that, that can't actually be done. So it gives us a good opportunity to prove the value of the of the software through the, throughout the pilot and at the end of the pilot that also in comparison to sidecore usually means we can close larger contracts right because then it's like okay yeah. we we see the value this can bring and now we're going big right mm-hmm. so that is a uh, is a is a distinct advantage of that
0: mm. speaking of value this is a question that we have in the chat here from from Michael Novak which is the value that you say is advertised or the the value that the customers are, are trying to achieve what are those goals Michael's asking? Is it to save money, create new business models? Is it something else, improving customer experience? like yeah. what, Broadly speaking, what, why are people coming to Cognigy? What, what is it that they're actually trying to yeah. achieve?
1: This is a great question. It's actually one of my favorite questions. So thanks, uh, thanks for asking that. If you look at Conversational AI and what it does, it automates calls or chats with customers or employees. You might think, okay, so automation means cost saving. Right, so we automate thirty percent of all calls coming in, which means we need thirty percent less customer service agents that can handle these calls. the um, The reality couldn't couldn't be any any further from that, right? It's it's this is not true for anyone, and the reason why that's not true for anyone is because no one has a fully staffed contact center. What I mean by that is this: just bear with me for a second. Mm. If you have a contact center. That is running so efficiently that you can pick up any customer call within 30 seconds, and then you can automate 30% of all calls, then, yes, you can reduce your contact center size by 30%, and you still have the same level of service. The truth is, most large companies have a contact center where you wait between 30 and 120 minutes before talking to anyone. So now you automate 30%. If you now reduce your contact center staff by 30%, you still have 70% of people wait for 30 to uh, 120 minutes. So it doesn't make any sense, right? So now the main objective really, because of, I hate using buzzwords, but like the, the great resignation that's going on, contact centers are never fully staffed. Anyone, Everyone is struggling with that at the moment. So it's not really cost savings, but it is really uh, improving the customer experience. And an interesting aspect to that is, say you you have 1,000 people waiting in in queue, and now you can deploy a bot that can handle 30% of of cases automatically. Of course, everyone's going to speak to the bot, but in only 30% of cases, it's going to be successful. That means you're taking 300 people out of the queue, and you have helped those people immediately, right? So that is a better customer experience for those 300. But it's also better customer experience for the remaining 700 because now the queue contracts and they don't have to wait for as long, right? So it's really about customer satisfaction. If you do have a fully uh, staffed and fully efficient contact center, it can be about uh, it can be about cost savings, and it can also be about cost savings if you're not talking about customer um, service, but if you're talking about employee service. So we, for example, have have some. Um, projects with a large German uh, automobile manufacturer, that um, if you want to run a project inside of that company, any project, you need to go to the legal department and they quiz you about this project. And there's like a hundred questions and it's a very difficult questionnaire where if you answer this with yes, then you go to page five and then they ask you this, mm. it's a compliance check. And um, this has been automated using Cognigy. So all the rules have been essentially poured into a bot that lives on, uh, I believe, uh, on the intranet. And now this compliance check can be done fully automated. So you can be taken through this uh, questionnaire using a, using a, a bot, and uh, the result will then be presented to a um, to someone from the legal department who can have a five-minute session with you rather than a one-hour session they had to do before.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm.
1: So in that sense, it saves time, and that can, of course, then translate into, uh, into saving money, right? Mm. The part that's mentioned here, creating new business models, that is, uh, I mean, obviously, there are new business models that are enabled through this type of uh, type of technology, right? So let's take a, maybe a, a travel company where you can book uh, flights and, and hotels. Now, what you could do is um, maybe two days before you, uh, before you fly, on holidays, maybe you get pinged on WhatsApp and it goes like, oh, hey, are you already looking forward to your flight? Here's the weather in your destination. And by the way, do you want to book the buggy trip or the desert safari or whatever it is? So you have upsell uh, potential as well. Mm. So yes, you can get creative with new business models uh, using this technology as well.
0: Interesting. Interesting. In terms of so we've got another question here from Michael. I've got a couple of couple of questions here. I as we'll get through these and then and then we'll uh, then we'll move on. One from Michael and one from Roberto, which we'll get to in a sec. Um we've talked a lot about selling into enterprises. We've talked a lot about the kind of things that enterprises consider when they do go and try and get hold of a technology platform. Obviously part of contact centers in large organizations is often some of them are outsourced, you know, and this concept of BPOs, business process organizations that basically take calls for people. Everybody's been on one of those calls where you call Sky or your Virgin or whatever and you get put through to someone in the Philippines or India or somewhere like that. Those organizations are really Facing huge threats, to be honest, with this technology that can automate calls. What, what they do basically is sell labor. And in the case that we've kind of just been describing of cost savings and stuff like that, if you can automate 50% of calls that a BPO handles currently and bring that in house with a solution like Cognigy, you, you're then really the BPOs. If I was managing a BPO, I'd be thinking that oh, we're in real danger here. And so a lot of them have actually started to embrace this concept themselves. And do yes. it themselves, create their own bots uh, to then serve the customers and keep all of those contracts. Have have you got any um, observations? Have you sold to any BPOs? Have you got any observations on what's happening in that side of that side of the space?
1: Yeah. So there's there's two things happening here. The one thing is that uh, BPOs are, are changing their business models. Whereas previously you essentially paid for seats. Yeah. So okay, we're a BPO. We're making a hundred agents to you available, something like that, or let's say. 50 agents at any time a day, stuff like that. Um, They are now um, embracing new business models that are more outcome focused, right? Resolved customer issues, however they want to resolve them. So, and they say, okay, dear customer, we're going to guarantee you 50% of customer issues will be resolved or 100% will be resolved, whatever. And if they can now automate, they can facilitate cost savings for themselves, of course, the BPOs. Which then translates uh, into uh, increased profits uh, directly, right? So we do see BPOs doing that. But I think all of this call we've been talking about um, customers or employees directly interacting with bots. There is a there is a big area in conversational AI which we haven't touched on at all, and which is really seeing uh, or really getting a lot of attention now, especially from from our enterprise customers as well. Which is what we dub agent assist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If we can build bots, and we are doing that in, in, in several use cases with large BPOs, where we are providing assistance to the agent, so the bot is listening in on the call, it can serve up information as the, uh, as the conversation is progressing. I'll, I'll give you an example. Someone is calling in, and maybe the conversation starts with a bot. You now the bot goes, like, okay, how may I help you? Yeah, let's stick with the airline example. I need to uh, change my booking. Okay, then we authenticate the person. We say, okay, what's your booking uh, ID? Blah, blah, blah. What's your last name? Okay,
2: authenticated.
1: Well, We'll hand you over to an agent. Now the conversation goes to the agent. The person's already authenticated and uh, maybe we already know something about this, right? And then the agent goes like, or the agent gets some suggestions of what to say. Maybe, okay, um, to when would you like to uh, shift your booking? And the customer says, uh, I'd like to move it to next Tuesday. And immediately as the agent, we see, the uh, results for next Tuesday for the same route that the uh, um, that the customer had booked, right? So yeah. we are assisting the agent to be more efficient. There's also the, the possibility that you don't interact with the bot at the beginning at all, but that you're only interacting with a human on chat or on voice, and the bot is listening into the conversation and providing hints or pulling information from backend systems, etc. And the agent can also communicate directly with the bot. Right? So the bot could say, okay, um, this, this, and that. And I say, okay, Tuesday we have a flight at 10.30 uh, a.m., would this be good for you? You say yes, the agent can click on that on their screen. The bot handles the interaction with the backend system, changes the booking, and says, okay, here we have the new ticket, and you click, okay, forward to the customer, boom, and it's forwarded to the customer. So this, this agent assist piece, I believe, is going to be huge and could even be bigger than the direct-to-customer uh, bot piece right mm-hmm. because you're keeping the bots away from the customer yet you're reaping a lot of the benefits that bots can provide so i think um especially for bpos but really any contact center in the world this is going to be huge
0: yeah yeah definitely it's it's only just starting to get attention as well isn't it you know i mean you've got you've got providers creeping up that that do things like that and it's simply i actually you could put i don't know what you currently use but you know simply i you could potentially use that for within cognitive basically to to enhance some of that stuff yeah, i actually
1: um, uh, during your doing your intro I, I looked at the website i already sent it off to a two hour of pre going hey you should take a look at that
0: it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, very, it's very powerful yeah agent assist is one but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you can do as well which you know if you could build yeah. that into the cognitive platform and increase the, the the features and capabilities and stuff but anyway yeah the agent assist is, is definitely, um, definitely uh, an emerging use case without a doubt it's almost like giving agents like superpowers isn't it you know um, so you've okay. got kind of like you've got the agent assist side of things you've got another thing we haven't really spoke about which is routing IVR routing you know taking the intent from the user shepherding them to the right place stuff like that and then the question we have from uh, Roberto Munoz uh, it's probably been cut off but I can read it is uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit but maybe we can define it a bit more Uh, we can see chatbots in lots of companies but how many companies have proper digital assistance where they can get things done changing customer details opening accounts in an automated way without being redirected to a human section in a website. Maybe we'll come on to IVR root and, and some of those other use cases. But cool. first, maybe we can just shed some light on some of the kind of use cases that you're seeing from the automation perspective and the level of automation, that the level of yeah. transactions that are actually being automated at the moment.
1: Again, my, my answer is, is, of course, our view on the market. And uh, nobody's really buying a, a Cognitive License to build what you would uh, dub a, a chatbot. So uh, I assume from the question that. You, you look at a chat bot like uh, something like an FAQ type of bot, right, whereas a virtual um, assistant or digital assistant would be a bot that can actually interact with backend systems and take you through a transaction, right, whether it's a rebooking or pulling a support ticket or something like that. The bots that are being built with Cognigy are, are the latter, right, so the, mm. the digital systems. They, they do take you through the, these full, um, full transactions. I personally find the FAQ bots um, – Well, an FAQ can be a good part of a digital assistant, but just a bot that has your website FAQ put into a conversational form, I'm not sure whether that's really uh, very useful, to be honest, right? So um, the companies we are dealing with are are doing transactional bots, and um, they are building a very advanced transactional bots, right? Really where you can, uh, I don't know, request uh, invoice copies, uh, change your address, uh, things like that. Right, both on the voice and on on the chat side. So mm. that's the majority of, of, of work we are seeing because I think that's also where the ROI is, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I always find with FAQ bots that they they kind of they miss the point a little bit because they're they're part of a broader journey, aren't they? A customer doesn't go to the website to get like an FAQ answered all the time. Maybe on some times they might do, but they're usually involved in some degree of a journey they're trying to get something done they're trying to get an answer to a question so that they can can make a decision that then leads them into the next phase of the journey and so the faq things almost seem to be like a little spot in time that can never really serve the user properly because when you're in a conversation and you've answered the question there's something else that needs to be done all most of the time it's part of a broader journey you know um it can make sense
1: right i mean if you look at the let's take lufthansa as an example Lufthansa um, has uh, many transactional use cases in their bot, but of course, there's also relevant FAQ type content, like what type of mask do I need to wear on, on the airplane? Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's just one answer to that, right? It's a medical grade or FFP2 mask. I don't know what the answer is, but um, that is, a, that is a relevant FAQ content, hmm. right? And um, yeah, you could probably also find that on the website. And this is also. A lot of people don't see it see it like that, but FAQ is really like search. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, you're just finding the right answer, right? whereas asking a question like, okay, how can I cancel my booking? And then you get taken to some other sub-page. Yeah, okay, that's also like search, but uh, wouldn't it be better if the bot said, yeah, I can help you cancel the booking? What's your booking? Yeah. So that's where the transactional case comes in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, FAQs, I, I didn't mean to sort of like poo-poo them or something because I think they are useful, but they're more useful, I find, when they're part of that journey. Like, how do I cancel my booking? You know, oh, well, I can help you cancel that booking. If you've got your reference number, an FAQ might be, well, where can I find my reference number? Oh, it'll be in the email that we sent yeah. you. And so the questions happen as part of the kind of discourse rather than, you know, one-off kind of thing. But anyway, yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm interested in getting your thoughts on, um, you know, You've mentioned lufthansa are there, who, who are doing a lot of different things, transactional things. We've talked about how lots of different clients are automating transactions. We've spoke about agent assist kind of use cases. And all of this stuff happens when, as this happens, the company in question starts to mature, doesn't it? It starts to get a little bit better, starts to reach a degree of scale where you're having conversations at volume and you're potentially having conversations across multiple channels. What are some of the... The, like the blind spots that you've observed that enterprises have like what are some of the things that the, everybody overlooks or they don't think about or that like they get backed into a corner because they didn't do certain things like what are some of those blind spots that you can identify
1: I think one very common blind spot is that uh, you, you go into a scoping meeting and you talk about use cases that they want to automate and then you go like okay and forget about conversational interfaces so let's say we build an app or a web app or whatever. Do you have the necessary APIs to actually do that transaction? Oh, yeah, we need to check. Okay. well, if you need to check, and if they don't exist, then you can't automate this use case, right? A conversational agent, whether it's a voice bot, whether it's a chat bot, uh, whether it's embedded in an app, or it doesn't really matter. It's a user interface. That's what it is. It's an AI-powered user interface. And the user interface needs to be able to interact with the backend system. So if you don't have your APIs in order, if you don't have the authentication piece in order, etc., to even carry out that transaction, then your bot won't be able to do it either, right? So that is something that um, you go into these workshops and then everyone goes wild with their ideas, which is great, right? Because it, it is a very engaging topic, of course. It's very exciting to be building something that you can speak with or, or chat with. But um, you need to have these things covered also in the backend. And even if you have the APIs, then another question would be, okay, um, can they be exposed to the outside world? And then all of a sudden it becomes an infrastructure discussion, right? So I guess the, the biggest blind spot, if we want to call it that, is in, and how to fix it is you need to bring everyone in, right? You need to bring your security people in, you need to bring your infrastructure people in, the people who own the process currently on, on in the customer service side or employee service side, and then to come uh, come to a solution there, right? Mm. But don't look at it as a yeah it's just a bot project mm. because no it's not it's complex right it mm. it's it's no less complex than building a small website that does that for you
0: mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. We spoke to um, Benoit Alvarez last week from Qbox and we had a really good discussion about how as teams start to advance and you start to handle more and more conversations and your kind of models get bigger, the conversations get wider in scope you have the potential to tie yourself up in knots basically. And a lot of people who've been doing this for, for a while that are tuning in uh, will have had conflicts with intents and things like that, where you change one thing on one intent and it impacts another intent and stuff. So there's a bunch of kind of like technical things potentially that that you kind of need to be aware of as you kind of, begin scaling you have bots that are handling more use cases and higher volumes is, is there any other yeah. things that aside from that any other things that that you identify from the either the design or the implementation side that you know let's assume that you've got access to apis you can get up and running you're now yeah. starting to serve some customers you're reaching a degree of scale you handling a couple of thousand calls a, a day or whatever it might be what maybe is some of the design things or technical things or pointers that you would give people to either make yeah. sure they do or don't do as they start to scale this thing
1: well, I think what you should do when you get started is you should ask yourself why are we doing this. We want to automate something, and then what is that something, right? So you should analyze your existing call logs if you have them, or if you don't have them, speak to the people at, on the contact center side to see what do we actually wanna, what do we want to automate. Now, if you identify, in, in most large enterprises, you can probably identify one or two handful of use cases that make up eighty percent of the reason why people are calling in. And then you automate those. So let's say it's 10 use cases. Then uh, don't build an intent model that has a, a thousand intents. Like you, you won't require that, right? This is actually also we, we, we spoke about that at the very beginning. Uh, small talk. Small talk muddies your intent model as well, right? Because I mean, what what are intents, right? How does intent mapping work? It's statistics, it's measuring the distance between the user input and It's a very simplified way of putting it, right? But it's measuring the distance between what the user said and the examples that were given. Now, uh, if you have 100 intents for your use cases and 500 small talk intents, there's a high chance these small talk intents get hit. Also, we're humans and uh, we are not good at um, writing 1,000 clear-cut intents. Like, uh, we have tools in the platform, actually uh, patented tools that help our users write better intents. Right? So we have this kind of um, traffic light uh, model where it says, okay, this sentence actually has overlap oh, well, this and that intent. But still, I guess my, um, well, long story short, I guess my advice would be, well, don't overdo it, automate the main use cases first, and then move on from there. Don't start and go like, okay, we're going to automate 50 use cases, mm. you're never going to be done. Right, mm, and mm. you can already reap the benefits of only automating two use cases at the beginning if you make that clear to the user. Mm.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Interesting. What are you observing in terms of the? I know we've got a few more questions here, which we'll hopefully we can get to shortly. But what what are you observing on? You know, we we spoke earlier about how we're seeing centers of excellences start to develop at the same time, there's organizations who maybe is approaching it from a developer point of view. And so there's definitely a a skills gap there from perhaps those that are just getting started that maybe can't justify recruiting an entire team just yet because they haven't potentially proven the value and stuff like that. So what, what are your kind of like observations on some of the core skills that are needed to scale something? Let's say you're an organization, you've got one bot live, it's doing all right. It's managed by it you've got a copywriter who feeds in every now and then what resources and skills will that team need in order to develop themselves into something that can be starting to scale this thing properly?
1: Well, the first question I would ask the organization is uh, if you have a well functioning bot, uh, why is it only staffed with, with two people, right? I mean, if there's a big ROI on your bot, uh, why don't you put a team around it and then increase the ROI even further, right? Uh, what is a well-functioning bot? Is a well-functioning bot a bot that has 20 conversations on your website a day, right? So I think that, that, is, the, that is the question. Um, if you have made your first uh, forays into, into the field and you feel that it is going well, then it really is about uh, professionalizing that, right? If you see, okay, there is potential, and we could also use this for these 20 other things, then you should really look at using a professional uh, platform. I mean, of course I'm saying that, right, because <laughs> we are offering that. no no surprise there, but it is true, right? Because, um, yeah, using a small tool to build this bot and another small tool to build that one, another small one to build that one, that's not going to be the reality of large enterprises uh, in the future, just like it isn't the reality for CRM systems or CMS systems. If you're a large enterprise, you're going to have, hopefully, one uh, centrally used uh, large uh, CRM system. And uh, we believe, and Gartner actually believes, that uh, large enterprises are moving to a centralized conversational AI infrastructure to uh, to harness these synergies that exist when multiple teams work on bots on the same platform, right? Synergies in training, skills transfer, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And also synergies in actually the model itself. You know, like I know companies who've got one provider for a chatbot, a different provider in the IVR, and are potentially looking at a different provider to do, so the IVR is rooting, but the different provider is to, to do the self-service. And it's like... You, you, not that you need to have the same conversation, because the model will be different, the conversation will be different in uh-huh. chat versus voice, but what you lose out on there, if you try and go for different solutions every time you want to do, build a different bot on a different channel, is you miss out on that core conversational pattern. You miss out on the opportunity to take a conversation from your chat bot and put it in your IVR with some tweaking and redesign uh-huh. and vice versa. Yeah, you know
1: right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, may, maybe you, you can you can get some analytics from from one of the systems that uh, could also be very valuable to improving your your other bots. Right?
0: Mm, mm, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, we'll we'll close out shortly. We've got uh, a com- a couple of questions there which we might get to. But what what is the we'll get to one is about the metaverse. You can't go on a podcast without getting metaverse questions these days. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll we'll see that till the end, Mike. Um, what is it now that, so, you know, obviously it's Cognigy is doing really, really well. Uh, you mentioned there; it's got a really good presence in, in large organizations and we're seeing the kind of consolidation of different technologies and currently, you know, settling on one platform. Organizations are maturing, they're, they're developing centers of excellence, they're able to scale, they're reaching, you know, a good volume on on calls and conversations, they're starting to see some real results where do you see the future heading in, in this space generally? And then I've got a follow-up question about the magic quadrant. But in gen- general terms, where do you kind of see the next three years? How would you describe what the industry will be like in three years' time if you were to wave a magic wand? Yeah.
1: I think we will see um, every large contact center provider embracing this type of technology, right? And the ones that are not are, are, are going to be struggling. I think that is, uh, that is big. And I think we, we will see every large enterprise that has a sizable customer service uh, operation embracing this type of technology, right? Because we hear this over and over again. Uh, large companies are not really differentiating on product anymore, but they're differentiating on service. Mm. And, and we all know that, right? I mean, if you receive great service somewhere, then, then that's who you want to do business with. But I remember I wanted to buy a, a car a couple of years ago and I went into the dealership and, uh, and no one spoke to me. Right. Maybe it was the way I was dressed. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, I, I literally went to another dealership on the same day. And there was actually a brand I didn't really want to buy, but they were super nice. And uh, I ended up buying the car there, right? And mm. it was really because I felt that uh, they cared. Mm. And I think this is the same with uh, with service. I think what we are going to see is obviously we're going to see the automation of customer service that we've spoken about with bots and agent assist. I think we're going to see a lot more proactive service right where um as i said maybe maybe you're going on a holiday and then two days before you're getting a message that uh, maybe upsells you something but also gives you value if you don't buy something right like giving the weather information or stuff like that right or we already see this sometimes like uh, with some airlines when you land somewhere and then uh, the moment you land you get an sms telling you which belt uh, to go to to collect your luggage
2: mm-hmm. right? and, uh,
1: mm-hmm. maybe you get a message that unfortunately your luggage didn't make it on the flight and uh, how to handle that so you don't have to stand in that line. Uh, We all had that experience at one point, right? Waiting for one hour in line to then fill out this big form and describe what your luggage looked like and all this kind of stuff. Uh, You just want to go to your hotel. It's already known the luggage is in there. So Mm. I think this kind of proactiveness in customer service is also something we're going to see massively increase.
0: Mm, yeah, it preempts things, doesn't it? It's almost like chatbots were used and still are, to be fair, to, to to almost prevent people from going from the website to the call center. You know, yeah. like, let's put a chatbot there. And let's let's kind of keep them on the website and, and save ourselves the call, kind of thing. But if That's you can right. be proactive, if you've got the data, it's all crucial. Crucially, relying on the data, isn't it? Is that if you have the data to be able to do that, being proactive and Intercepting the customer before they get chance to, to need to go to you is inevitably a better customer experience. You know, that's right. Uh, so, so one one two last questions. I know we're very short on time. Very 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 quickly, uh, we'll we'll do the metaverse question, then I'll ask you one more question about the the future of of Cognigy. So. Michael Novak's question is, uh, what is the chatbot role? I would also say voicebot or conversational AI role. In emerging metaverses, is it a gaming companion, a work companion? Is it an interface that will be used to uh, you know, navigate and control those metaverses? I don't know if you've been paying attention to that metaverse kind of stuff uh, as of yet, but your thoughts, generally speaking, on the, on the role of, of conversational AI in that uh, yeah. fledgling space.
1: It's a good question. So I can tell you, we have, uh, we've been investigating this, uh, this thing uh, for, for quite a while. And, um, firstly, it's good fun. Uh, now that we are all remote because of the, the, the pandemic.
0: Didn't you do a many- workshop or webinar on, in VR recently?
1: We did. Yeah. With, with, uh, with UI Yeah. And, um, we, uh, we actually conduct, uh, several of our meetings uh, per week in VR now in the company. And, uh, it's uh, surprisingly good. Of course, we're also nerds, right? we like to try stuff like that, but uh, it's actually surprisingly good. You can focus very well. Now, to answer the question, um, I think we, we put out an article about that on our website as well. I personally believe that the role of conversational AI in the metaverse uh, is going to be huge. Now, why is that? Because when you're in the metaverse, you can't really type anything, right? So um, you need to communicate with, other humans or services uh, via voice right so let i'm going to rephrase the question a little bit like what is the 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 role of bots in general Mm -hmm. um and it's gonna i believe it's gonna be voice bots obviously right and maybe if we have a meeting in vr and then we can communicate with a star trek like a computer in that virtual reality um, world where where we can let's say it's a sales meeting and i can say okay uh, Please show us the forecast for Q2 for the Americas, please. Boom. Yeah. Okay, please uh, please whittle that down to only Cognitive Voice Gateway opportunities. Boom. Right? And that's. Uh, I think this is something that's going to come. Um, obviously, gaming uh, companions. I mean, yeah, you, you want to play Halo in VR and you want to be speaking to Cortana. Right? That, that's, that's what you want to do. Right? And uh, if you're flying an X-Wing, you want to be able to speak to uh, R2-D2 in, in the back. So I think um, voice uh, voice will play a big role in that. We actually, we, we did a video about that in 2017 where we built a Unity uh, 3D based world, um, a kind of Viking world, and we had a little dragon flying around and it was, um, it was actually in VR. You could walk around and you can a- ask the dragon to do things and you can uh, deal with the merchant uh, using your voice and things like that. And um, it was early days back then, but I think uh, it will, um, it will definitely come. Whether we'll be a player in that, um, let's see. We're very focused on, on enterprise and service, of course. But will bots play a big role in the metaverse or will voice control and voice communication play a big role? I'm, uh, I'm very certain of that, yes.
0: Mm, interesting. And, and final question as we wrap up. What With the Magic Quadrant now you know, being placed in the leader, a very small number of companies are in that quadrant it's obviously tremendous marketing power tremendous validation for prospects and stuff like that what is it going to enable for you and what does the next kind of like 12 to 18 months look like for, for Cognigy yeah
1: I think the great thing that it does it really helps us to answer the question why Cognigy and not one of the other 1,000 so-called conversational AI platforms, right? It's easy to, to to whack that label onto your software. We're a conversational AI platform. We have only really existed for two months, but we're a conversational AI platform, right? So now we can say, okay, here's external validation of what an enterprise conversational AI platform is. And there are really only a handful of leaders uh, in the market, and, uh, and we are one of them, right? So... They don't have to take it from, uh, from us, but they can actually now look at external validation. And uh, I believe it's fantastic. It's, it's, really a, it's really a team achievement, right? both in, in terms of building the product, marketing the product, selling the product, but also um, in terms of preparing for this magic quadrant, which is a very um, tough exercise. You, know, you put a lot of effort into that, but you learn a hell of a lot by going through that process as well. Right, and uh, we actually we had to prepare a video for the Magic Quadrant um, evaluation, and we are now using those. Uh, it's, I think it's actually thirteen different videos. We are now using them for internal training, right? Because they are, they go so deep in the product, and it's uh, yeah. So it was a great experience for us, and uh, of course, the the outcome um, we believe will also be uh, will also be tremendous. Not just for us, but for the market as a well whole, because it is the first, uh, Ghana Magic Quadrant on enterprise conversational AI platforms.
0: Mm. Definitely, definitely brings it into the the big time, so to speak, or the mainstream. I think when a company like Ghana. I know they've done other things with conversational like AI platforms in the past, but putting a mag- magic quadrant together, I think, is a is a good sign. To be fair, uh, Roberto, says very good session. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so. I couldn't agree more. Roberto, thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. It's been thank absolutely, you. the time's just gone. I can't believe that what the, what the time is. It's just absolutely flown. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, for those that are tuning in on the podcast or tuning in on LinkedIn or YouTube, if you want to check out Cognigy, go to Cognigy.com. That's C-O-G-N-I-G-Y.com. Phil, any other resources that you appoint people to? Any other ways that they can learn a bit more about Cognigy?
1: Well, you can find uh, you can find most of it on the website. If you go to the website, if you want to get your hands uh, onto the tool, you can. There's a free trial in the upper right where you can register. There's also academy.cognigy.com if you want to find the, um, the free training classes we spoke about. That includes uh, conversational design training, which is not cognigy specific. Right. So even if you are currently using another platform, this could be uh, could be interesting for you. Exactly. there we go. That's the link. So yeah, and um, the rest you can uh, find on the, on the website or on our YouTube channel. So we publish a lot of videos on our YouTube channels, uh, our channel with um, with showcases of what can be done with Cognigy, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, thank you very much for, for having me on the show. I think it was a great discussion and uh, looking forward to the next time.
0: Likewise, likewise. Really appreciate it. It's been absolutely immense. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, next week, for those tuning in, we'll be speaking to uh, the UJET CEO uh anand speaking to anand next week uh on wednesday so please do join us for that we might touch on some of this stuff um in terms of how so you just a ccast provider so we might be talking a little bit more about the contact center uh, side of things and how they integrate with companies like cognigy and, and others uh, so do please do join us for that but phil this has been absolutely immense thank you so much for joining us it's been an unbelievable conversation i really appreciate it
2: great thanks